mindfulness mode 479. We have to be careful. If you are a person that struggles with suicidal thinking, you need to seek proper help. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, we are in for a treat today because I have an absolutely incredible human being with me today. And I just I just can't say enough about how amazing she is. She's just has this incredible energy and incredible wisdom and knowledge. And you're just going to want to just tune in and drink in every word that she shares. I have the amazing Rhonda Smith with me today. Hey, Rhonda, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am definitely in mindfulness mode today. I hope I can live up to that amazing introduction. (laughs) Well, I'm sure you can, and you can do it without even trying because that's just the way you are. You know, I we've met up at different conferences and it's it seems like it's unbelievable that it took this long for us finally to get together on an interview. But here we are. It's the perfect time because isn't each moment the perfect time? It is. I, and I always trust that like it, it's happened when it's meant to happen. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm I, glad we're finally here today. Yeah, me too. I want to share a bit, a bit about you, Rhonda. Rhonda Smith is on a mission to support people as they remember the deepest truth of who they are and as they tap into the power and intuition that we all have within us. A challenging life is a symptom of trauma, and trauma must be felt for healing to occur. The only way out is through. She often helps couples and people who are struggling with relationships, working with many A players, CEOs, and individuals with a high net worth, but whose personal lives have become bankrupt, helping them to break the repeating patterns in which they find themselves caught. Rhonda's voice is to share her unique style and radical paths of alternative living acceptance, and wholeness. So what a treat it is having you on the show, Rhonda. It really is. What does mindfulness mean to you? Mm, that's interesting. Well, for me, it's really an, it's a state of embodiment. It's allowing myself to be present to what is. It's allowing myself to feel what it is that is in that present moment to feel rather than needing it to be something else. And For me, the mindfulness piece is just to simply allow what's coming through me to come because there's typically information in it rather than trying to make it be something else or bypassing it into something else. So I find that that mindfulness piece for me is like spirit wants me to be feeling this right now. Allow it to happen. Listen, be present to it. So no matter how we're feeling in a given moment, just embrace that feeling. Is that your philosophy? Well, I believe that there's information in our discomfort. There's information in our excitement. There's information in our pain. And I believe that the last 10 ish so years we've been on this course to like really bypass ourselves into being positive or finding like the good in it. And like we bypass the learning by always switching into that mode. So in my life, I found that the things that kept repeating really happening because I wasn't listening and learning from them. So, you know, our emotional state is a teacher and I'm not saying to live there, you know, I mean, there are times when we kind of have to pull ourselves away, but, you know, 
first dip our toe in the, in the pool of feelings and allow ourselves to feel that's where most people are is they don't want to feel. But for me, as we had talked about before this call had started was really about learning how to lay deeply in my truth and listen to what it was trying to say. Because when that finally happened, it was like a wave of information coming through me and I kept stopping it rather than allowing it to come through me, move through me and move on. Yeah. And before we got on the call, you said that it's not unusual for you to experience suicidal thinking and depression. What do you do with that? Well, I mean, growing up, it was super challenging. I remember being a very small child and having suicidal thinking and having this really dark way and no tools. And my my parents didn't have the tools. My mom just tried to like do it for me. What I learned is that I have a capacity to understand the depth of humanity in a, in a really deep way. So I sat a lot with sacred plant medicine and worked a lot with shamans to be able to learn how to sit in it and listen and hold that space. and you know, right now where we're at in humanity, we're in really interesting times. And rather than tell somebody that they, you know, they shouldn't feel that way because their life is great, especially someone who has suicidal thinking, that's the last thing that that person needs to hear. What needs to happen is they need to be heard and seen for exactly how they feel and acknowledged for it. And, you know, I always listen to people who are in deep, heavy feelings and I just listen. I don't need to do anything for them. I don't need to make them feel differently. And then at the end of the conversation, I'll say, that must be so hard. And it's just acknowledging them. And he would be so surprised at what happens to people when they're heard and seen for how they feel and it's not wrong or needs to be changed. And then we get to express ourselves. I mean, that's authenticity. That's, I'm not a happy person. I actually have, I have a couple of Instagram pages, but one of them is called the unhappy life coach, which is funny <laughs> because that's typically not what it is, but I've been a person that suffered with depression and anxiety in my life and learning finally, that it was a teacher. And if I could just allow myself to listen to it, that it wasn't this thing that happened to me, it was part of me and it's built into my design. You know, I always say that I would burn, I would have burned it all down by now because I'm, I'm a lot of fire. So having that built into my system, into my design really, well, it helped humanity not, you know, we still have a planet. <laughs> so that's good. Let's talk about Rhonda Smith, the sexual being. How does that sexual side of your life feed you? Oh, that's so interesting. This is fascinating. I haven't got to talk about this topic. So I was, there are many women out there who have not had orgasms in their life. And I was one of them. And it really is something that isn't talked about. There's a lot of shame. We fake it. We do a lot of stuff. So that part of me, I was always looking for something through sexuality and my own sexuality to feel seen or heard or loved. And I never got it. Like I was on this endless quest, like, because I didn't own it within myself. And after just making so many bad decisions and never being able to make decisions that were really in my best interest, it was always based in my need or my want or my desires. I went on a two and a half year fast from sex, dating, masturbation, books, podcasts, anything. Like I just went completely within and like allowed myself to feel what was true. And when I came out of that fast, I ended up dating somebody and I was actually able to express like a vaginal orgasm as a woman and at 44 years old. So it's a super important topic that we should be talking about because there's a lot of women out there who aren't having them, but I believe it's because we're disembodied. We don't value ourselves. Like I had to become the greatest love of my life and put myself first, no matter what, in order to connect to this part of myself. And I would say I was lovesick my whole life or 
in need of love. And it was like the Cinderella syndrome, this quest. And my journey and everyone's journey is different was really about becoming that love myself, becoming the greatest love of my life. And now my need is so different in partnership, even if I want partnership or, you know, what that looks like when I, when I can do these things for myself or soothe myself, then I'm whole. Can you tell us more about what it means to be disembodied? Yes. So I would say most people walking around the planet right now are disembodied. So we have all this crazy 5G frequency that's coming out and, you know, so much technology, our food, everything that's in any type of GMO food or food that's not organic. And really, if we can even get organic food, but these things all keep us from being connected in our bodies. And when we have an unhealthy gut or intestinal tract, like we're not able to connect into like the frequency into our own toroidal essentially, and be connected to earth's frequency. So activities like grounding, walking barefoot through the woods and connecting into earth, what we feed ourselves. I mean, I I have a saying, if you can't eat it, it shouldn't go on your skin because it's no different than ingesting it. Right. So food grade, you know, we're getting ready. uh, The expanded human is our our company. We're going to, our phase two is creating products that are so pure. You can eat it that go on our skin. And it's like being aware of you are what you eat. You are what you consume. That's your environment. Well, so I want to ask you this. I mean, there's so much talk about processed foods and sugars and, you know, we should try not to have that as part of our life. But what about, we were talking about sexual needs and there seems to be this lie, this myth that if we are looking for sex or we feel like we need intimacy, then it's fine to seek out porn. Isn't porn really the same lie as processed foods as far as coming to intimacy is concerned? Yes. I mean, think about it. Back in the 70s when like porn really blew up, if we had had conscious porn, we had showed acts of intimacy that were beautiful and caring and loving and in our truth and honesty, like how different our society would be now. And like, I get it. People like stimulation. Like I don't want to deem all porn as this negative thing. There are times where people that they choose it and I don't want to demonize them for it. But I do believe what's happened to especially like our young men and women and on the planet, like it's definitely a very dark energy that's coming through to really keep us disconnected. I mean, I know I, I hear stories and I don't, I don't know very much about our youth or the millennials or that, that's just not my, my life. I don't focus into that area, but you know, having girls, like they don't kiss, they just have sex or they'll just give a guy a blowjob. And it's like, there's no connection to self. There's, there's no, so, no real intimacy. Is there? No. And I watch women fill themselves full of fillers and Botox and need surgery and you know, the things we do to our hair and all the things trying to be. And, you know, I'm, I'm probably at a little bit higher weight than I've, I've been in a long time. And like, I've never felt more feminine and in my body and, you know, comfortable in myself. And it's like, I was definitely programmed into believing I had to be like super weight thin and all of these things. And it's just, there's so many things out there happening to people and, you know, everyone lives for how it looks rather than how it is. Yeah. I'm just shocked at how many young men I think are, are watching porn and not knowing there's any other way. They're not knowing they're just, they're just immersed in it because they don't know any better and it's there and it's so easy to access it. There's a woman named Gail, I think it's pronounced Diner, D-I-N-E-R, who talks about, about that and how we need, to, we need to move into a mission to change this. Right. But 
it's just like the conversation that, that there's a big conversation. I coach men primarily in my private practice. And I have a lot of men come to me who are interested in like open relationships and like they're bored. Like, and, and I just wrote a book about this. It's called the whole method that I'm going to plug myself. And um, essentially it's this, this external quest for success and riches and to be seen and have significance. And, you know, I say a lot about Tony Robbins and a lot of people out there, like they're promoting this way of being like more and more and more. You're not enough, like do more, do more, do more, do more. And it's about action, isn't it? It's about taking action, which is not the answer always. It is not the answer. And like, it's, it's going to be the detriment of our planet. It will be the thing that destroys us is greed and capitalism and all the things. So it's like, conversation really can't be yet. Let's stop porn. The conversation has to go back steps, just like it does about open relationships. Like, What are you feeling in that moment when you have that pulse? I have a lot of men who reach out and say like, I'm woke up at three o'clock in the morning to go watch porn out of bed with my lover. Like, it's like that need, right? Like, well, and if you want to get esoteric on it, like there's energy succubus, incubus or succubus energies that are like literally feeding on our sexual energy. There's all these you know, energies out there that are feeding on that need. And when we're not able to sit with our truth and understand our needs and sit with our feelings and not act on them and listen and like do that work, it doesn't matter how many conversations about like, let's change the way we have to understand. We have to go backwards and understand like, what are you feeling in this moment? What is your need? Where is it in your body? You know, and it's that whole embodiment piece and getting men to connect in or women even to connect in is the question. So, you know, when people say, I want to, I want to open myself up to open relationship. And I'm like, we need to work together for a minimum of six months before you're even capable of being the person that can have the conversation. If you're open to relation, that kind of relationship, people just don't know. We keep throwing ourselves in and we don't have the foundation of the tools. So I didn't realize that you work mostly with men. So you said that, didn't you? Yeah. So why is that? I think I relate better with men than I do with women. How a man's mind works through the process of coaching is quite different than women. I'd still do work with women, but it's a different type of woman typically. But women need more time to process. You know, they're, we're so brainwashed right now with everything is like, what do you desire? You should have everything you should desire. And like, I'm not interested in working with that woman because we're not here. God is not here so that we can have everything we've ever wanted. So you think women are more brainwashed than men? Well, they're brainwashed differently. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, I think that we're brainwashed very different. So we just started a company called The Expanded Human, and we've done so much market research, understanding what our target men and like women like want and what their needs are and what their issues are. And for a woman, they're typically entrepreneurial spirit women. They don't quite have their tribe. They haven't really found their place. They're not really confident. They don't have like the foundation of community to launch and feel secure. And mm-hmm. they're not quite sure about like how to express themselves. Our men are, have reached a level of success. They keep looking for external fulfillment. You know, all the, uh, you're such a badass and all the things that are just like constantly feeding that ego piece. Mm-hmm. And no matter what they do, they're still lack fulfillment. So now they're looking at open relationships. So it's really interesting to look and see what's happening. They're very different dynamics right now. For men and women. So the expanded human and it's H-U-E-M-A-N. And why is that? Um, because it's about embracing all of the hues of the human. So our dark ones, our light ones, our red ones, our bright ones. It's it, we are we are not here to just be in the state of happiness or just to be in this elevated state. And most people think enlightenment is like sitting in the lotus position at the ocean and having connection to the divine. And really to get to a state where we have different connection to the divine. It's a great shedding 
of untruths. And it's a deep, dark process to go through when we really wake up. So the expanded human is about helping people step through all those valleys and shadows and mountains and yeah. the expanded human.com, correct? Yes. yes. And we have a Facebook community and we're getting ready to launch the inner circle, which is a mentorship for a hundred people. It starts in January and it's really taking the next level leader who is sat down at the table of wisdom and truth and gorged on personal development the last few years and the so full and isn't fulfilled. And now they're like ready to jump off the top of the table. And that's where we catch you. It's like right there. It's like tapping people to enter that internal compass. Everything we're looking for is inside of us. So is self-help a trap? Oh yeah. Like our big thing is we answer the question, what comes after personal development? And what does? The fact connecting into yourself, learning how to listen, trusting into intuition, like listen, going your own way when no one else is going to go that way with you. And it's like, that's Dharma, right? Like we all think we're here to live purpose. So everyone's on this quest for purpose, right? Well, purpose is why we think we're here. Uh Dharma is why we're actually here. Okay. Well, let's talk about Dharma. Tell us, tell us why we're actually here. Well, I mean, everybody has their own unique purpose. And I was just having a call with my business manager this morning and we were talking about, she's like, you know, maybe I'm not here to be special. Maybe I'm just here to be kind. She's like, but nobody wants to hear that. Right. Right. Like it's all this like ego quest. And I think that all the things that we're creating out there and I'm so tired of all the marketing and it's like this endless quest to be seen and have significance. And it's like, see yourself. And, you know, in all honesty, I became a coach because I didn't, not knowingly, but I wanted people to value me. I wanted to help people have transformation so that I had worth. And now that I've done, and I'm no way healed or I don't even think there is a healed. I think there's healing, but I don't need that anymore. So how I coach and who I coach and how I do everything is so different. It's a great healing of my own codependency, right? Like I'm a recovering codependent. So it's fascinating to see how our wounding is driving our whole planet right now. Right. Right. That is fascinating. And my book, The Whole Method is really about this journey. It's about, we're all told to climb this mountain and you know, we get up the mountain partial and we realize that, gosh, I don't even know if this is my dream. Your book is for is leaders. Dream. Is it for, is it for all of us? Are we all it's, leaders? All leaders. So that, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I believe that. I believe that. And I love the subtitle, quiet the noise, blaze your own trail and expand into your full potential. The whole method. The whole wow. Method. So how mindful did you have to be to put this book together? Oh my gosh. Okay. So everyone is out there saying, Oh, I wrote a book. And this was like such an amazing process. That is not how it was for me. I worked with a publisher and I obligated myself to pay a considerable amount of money so that I would finish the book. I had a person who sat down with me, a young man named Jonathan Gonzell, and he's 22. He's, he's an alien. There's no way he's human and um, just bright and brilliant human. And he sat down and he helped me get the book out of my heart. And then I worked with this amazing editor, Ali Blair. And she, when she got the book, she like tore it apart. And she's like, we have to flip everything. So we flipped everything. So it's, it was really a, a big process. But I was just telling you before the show started, like six, eight weeks ago, I had like deep depression come. Like I hadn't taken a day off. And I am very much about promoting self-care. And I am not about this whole forge mentality, this like super masculine way. But this last year was my year to, to charge the mountain of my life, of my right. quest, of my, 
and I didn't apply self-care properly. And I, I went to bed for two weeks. I finally crashed and emailed my team and said, that time we talked about is finally here. Mm. <laughs> and it was great. And I, I work with legendary herbalists because I have like really fierce anxiety and really worked sacredly to get through this process and birth who I am. Because I learned a long time ago that I grow into my higher self through those states, through depression and through anxiety. It's how my body responds to incredible shift or change or, you know, when we, I hate to use the word up level, it's very new age, but like when we're, we're changing that, that time of our life, when we're growing as people and our output is different. So I, you know, I'm open about talking about it because we all have mental health and it's all in varying states and there's no reason to feel, you know, ashamed or you need to But in our society, we do feel ashamed. Right, we I'm do feel ashamed that. of that suicidal feeling. We think, oh my gosh, what is this? This can't be right. I can't share this. I can't tell anybody. This is awful. This is horrible. Before we got on the call or on record, at least, you said, my suicidal thinking is my greatest teacher. What has it taught you? Obviously, it's important. It's coming up this way. Well, it was a lesson that had been trying to tell me my entire life, which is I didn't feel like I had the ability to take care of myself. and. I didn't have the ability to soothe myself my whole life. And if you had, especially as a child, I was, I was a nightmare of a child, but I have so much compassion for me because so much coming through me and had no ability to deal with like the emotional level. So learning, and you know, we have to be careful. If you are a person that struggles with suicidal thinking, you need to seek proper help. But as you learn your journey and you walk this, this place, you know, don't be shy to sit with others while you're in the state of allowing yourself to process things, but be with friends. Don't do this alone. Don't do this work alone. But I laid on my bed one night and I knew that I had to finally listen to this message. I mean, it's 42 years of listening to this message. I mean, I probably remember being suicidal at like two or three. And um, I had to listen so deeply. And I kept asking myself the question, what would happen if this would happen? What would happen if this would happen? And when I finally got to the bottom of it, I saw this image of myself not being able to take care of myself, my mental state, my financial state. And there was nobody there to save me. So I had to kill myself. And then there was this voice in my head and it's like, we just have to make sure that this doesn't happen. And then I realized in that moment, like, and then I also heard a voice that said, like, I've been trying to give you this message your whole life, but we're taught to run from it. We're taught to numb it out or medicate it out. And there are definitely people who do need medication. So my route is not the typical route, but I went and worked with shamans and a lot of sacred plant medicine and went through several years of dark depression to really allow myself to be at the state. So it's not something that just happens. And I run retreats into ayahuasca and um, I say to people, cause you know, everything that's being promoted out there right now is, is makes it sound like it's like a one and done. Like you can come and like you're all healed and that's not the case. Once you start walking this path, it's years of work and you have to have proper support and you have to be around people that get it because it's so challenging. So yeah, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. But once I got the information, it changed my life because then I was like, oh, okay, it's okay for you to lay down and need more rest. It's okay for you to have to have different boundaries with people. It's, and then it's actually understanding like what I was allowing and just trying to feel love with people was I was like completely abandoning what was best for my body. So the whole part was about learning how to love myself and become embodied. Wow. 
What an incredible journey. Tell us about your relationship with your father. My father is my best friend. He just turned 80. We went to Machu Picchu for his birthday and he hiked in Dipunku at 80. I'm so proud of him. Wow. Um, my, my father's a very gentle, kind, loving, patient man, always has been. And when I was little, I was much taller than everyone else and I was heavier. So I didn't really have a lot of friends. And he taught me to love nature and took me fishing and we did hiking and camping. And when my life crashed and burned seven years ago after having severe addictive tendencies, um, he gave me a really soft place to land for me to find myself and and do this process with. So all of the crazy things I've brought his way, like I'm going to go sit in crazy plant medicine and this is what it is. And he just listens. Mm -hmm. So it's also been his process of waking up into being more conscious about how he lives his life and what he eats and the things he believes in. So you talked about some of the challenges when you were young, but were you ever bullied? Is there an incident where you can tell us about a bullying situation where mindfulness would have possibly made a difference? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I was emotionally unstable as a child. So I cried all the time. I had a lot of issues of being away from my mom. So I was weird. You know, I was really weird. I didn't fit in. I've, I've never fit in. Do you still and, feel weird? Oh, I'm weird. You feel that? Oh, yeah. No, I know that to the core. I am different from other people, but I love that part about me now mm. and I embrace it so much. But had I had more voices in my head saying, Hey, like you aren't meant to fit into, I've never fit in to like the mainstream stuff. Like I'm always in a different place with things. So yeah, had I had heard, and you know what? My parents were always very supportive. My mom was amazing, but she really helped soothe my emotional state through shopping. So created incredible addictive tendency with shopping. Mm. It was a great way to soothe those needs. So yeah, there was lots of things that if I had had, you know, if we had been in this era now, back then in you know the seventies and early eighties, it would have been a different experience. And, you know, when I was weird, when I was weird, <laughs> when I was a kid and I had like, I cried and nobody really understood and I had anxiety and there was no word for it. You know, there was no word in my vocabulary to describe this terrible feeling I had inside. And you know, we went to doctors and they did all these like physical tests, but nobody ever really thought to check my mental state. Mm. And had they, they probably would have put me on some crazy medication. So I'm actually grateful that part didn't happen, but my journey into discovering my own personal mental health, and I've tried to kill myself twice. So I've been on the other side of the dark twice. Oh, wow. Yeah, How close so, did it come? Um, I slit my wrist the, the most. And then I, I took the second time I tried, I, I took a handful of pills and I, I, at that point I didn't care. The first time I tried to kill myself, I had this incredible, like unstoppable need to save myself. And like, I have so much compassion for people who like jump off bridges because like, there's no turning back at that point. Right. And I right. had the opportunity to, but then I thought for sure there was no way I was going to ever feel that again. And when I did, I didn't care the second time. Wow. And do you coach a lot of people who are in those dark places as well? I do. And like typically people that have done all the personal development work and they have all the tools and their their life, like the universe has decided, oh, okay, it's time for you either to start your shamanic path or for you to actually do something that is meaningful for the world rather than just make money. What happens is it usually gets very heavy and hard for my clients. And they come to me when they don't know what to do. So that's a lot of the work I do or relationship is at that point. And we sit and learn how to be in that energy, which is changing. And then I watch a lot of people that have been big in real estate or something, and then they switch into learning plant medicine or 
wanting to help people in a different way. Rhonda, I understand you have a pretty incredible friend in your dog, Sailor Love. I do. Little wiener dog. What has Sailor Love taught you about mindfulness and about life? So the very first time I ever remember in my whole life being present was with her. And we were playing on the bed and it was about eight, nine years ago. And I was like present and mindful to the fact that I had never just been free to play. And I think I was like 30, I don't know, 34 then. And she is this little delicious wiener dog. She's a long haired red and she's, she's just like, I've never known love like that. She cuddles and like, we'll just gaze in each other's eyes. And she's like my child and people who say you have children that it's not the same as a dog, but it's the closest thing I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she is really that moment when I just get to go be. <laughs> That's awesome. That's <laughs> wonderful. Rhonda, as we move on in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Jeff Murphy. He's been a teacher of mine for six or seven years. He has no website. He lives in the forest. Okay. Tell us how mindfulness has affected your emotions. After learning how to sit with them, it's, it's a reminder that I don't have to stay there. So I do believe we need to learn how to be there but I don't have to stay there and live there. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Oh, the breath. I think that when I first realized that we hold our breath when we open a door and we hold our breath through some of the hardest times of our lives rather than breathe through it, that we're not allowing the body to access and process all the things they can. So breath is one of the most important parts. I I do want to plug Rolfing. If you haven't tried this modality of of healing to the body, it will really expand your, your capacity to be able to take in breath. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? And of course, your book, I know it's, I haven't read it yet, but I know it's going to be incredible when I do The Whole Method. So check it out, The Whole Method. But any other books? Uh, Radical Wholeness by Philip Shepard. Yeah, his work is profound. He's a dear friend and he really helped me back into the journey, being mindful into my way of loving myself, into self-love. And are there any apps which, which can help with mindfulness? Hmm. I really steer away from that piece because I want, like, I'm more curious of like teaching people how to, to teach, to tell me what they know rather than just be fed information. I mean, when I first started my journey, I think I did like the Deepak Chopra, Oprah meditation. Like that was right. the beginning of that piece for me, but no, I would, I would not want to know what you know that everyone else knows. I want to know what you know. So I try and teach people how to tap into that internal part and it can come out gibberish, but it's like letting that out. Do you ever get wowed when you go into rooms or, or areas with many, many, many people and all these different energies all mixing together? I can't really do that anymore. Yeah. So I find the cleaner our, our crystal becomes, the cleaner we are and how we live and, and what we learn and what we unlearn. Um, it's um, much more challenging to be in social situations. So when you go to the website, theexpandedhuman.com and human, like I said, H-U-E, M-A-N, you'll see Rhonda and her team. Tell us about some of the other people on your team. So I had had many plant medicine ceremonies that kept bringing like this information through me for this new way, even from our logo to the bit the bee to all of the things. And Emmanuel Panny, this lovely young man who's had a lot of success in his life, but just really special, gets energy. And we started coaching together like four years ago and he quit because he couldn't handle it. He wasn't ready. And then he came back and then he came to plant medicine. And then 
DJ, I've only known him for a year, and he came in looking to understand spirituality because everything we're taught is spirituality is a bucket or a pillar. And I said, spirituality is everything. It's how you wipe your bum. It's how you say hi to the postman. It's in everything we do. So the two of them kind of came in and they said, what's your dream? We want to know what we want to know what you really want to do. And our dream is to create land and communities where we grow food and do medicine and do retreats and stuff. And we want to have them all over the world. And, and they basically said, here's money. And we want to, we want to do this with you. And then Jessica Mishler um, looks like a superhero. She's, she's like my bestie and she's this amazing woman who really helps people understand their unique beauty. And her voice was taken from her when she was very young. So her learning how to express herself and sing and become the medicine woman that she is. And the one person that's not in that photo is Julie Ritchie. And she is like the backbone and the foundation of our, she's the one who creates all of our ideas and makes everything happen. And she's in the UK and she's just a magical human. Ah, so do you travel a lot with the work you do? I do. I travel. I, I designed it this way. And like, so funny, like you get, be careful what you ask for. It's too much. It's a little bit too much, but yeah, it's lovely. And I have a lot of people come in to do private work with medicine and stuff. So it's lovely, but I'm trying to be home more. So do you have a space in the area where you live, where you can do retreats or you can have people in and coach them? So I typically don't do anything in my home. I live in two places. I live near Lake Tahoe and I live in the San Francisco Bay area. So, um, most people, I live in the sticks, like having internet that actually works for this interview is phenomenal, (laughs) (laughs) but otherwise on time I'm in the Bay area and, and I do have places down there that we do it. And my shaman is in the Bay area, by the way, that word isn't actually a word. Shaman describes a Mongolian medicine person, but we overuse that word. So my medicine practitioner is in the Bay area and she has an amazing space that we do medicine and retreats in. So fascinating to talk to you. It really is. What's your parting word of advice for our Mindful Tribe listeners? I don't want to see you be like other people. Like I want to know who you are when you're standing in your kitchen naked at midnight eating almond butter out of the jar. Like I want to know that version of you. Like I'm not interested in all the masks and all the, the parts of ourselves that we keep hiding. We need to be really unique and in our truth. And the journey to get there is a hell of a journey, but it's so worth it. And it eliminates sickness and disease and dis-ease when we can finally just be who we really are. Rhonda, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on Mindfulness Mode. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a blessing. Yeah, it really is. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I have a free resource for you. 
Whether you work in corporate, have teams of employees, and you want to reduce stress with those employees and help them to be more productive, you can download the free resource, 10 Simple and Effective Ways to Increase Mindfulness in the Workplace Now. And once your employees are happier, you know, productivity will increase. Download the free resource at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash workplace P. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>